1: see those leaders, those elders, those pastors within any local fellowship. They literally and truly are on the front lines. And they need people. Again, the body of Christ. They need the body of Christ behind them, praying for them, watching over, and protecting them. The body of Christ needs to be their rear guard, and that includes you know, the elders guarding them, their families, and in particular their spouses against the attacks of the enemy. Paul is very clear that when accusations come, there needs to be consideration given for the one who is serving and has served faithfully as the elder of the local body of believers. The body
0: of Christ needs to protect its leaders, In today's message from Pastor David, we learn the importance of the body of Christ protecting and supporting its leaders. Pastors and elders and any leader that is serving in the church is considered to be on the front lines for Christ. It's important that we support, pray for, protect, and guard them from the attacks of the enemy. Our church leaders do so much to serve and protect us, and it's very important that we help do the same for them. Now here's Pastor David with part two of his message, Conflicts, Widows, and Elders.
1: the kind of woman you want to assist along the way because she's trying in every way that she can. He says if she has brought up children, well, that's not a requirement. Well, she has to have children before we help, no. But if she has had children, that she did a good job, that she put herself into caring for her children. She has, uh, if she has lodged strangers, and that speaks there of the attitude of hospitality. What kind of a heart does she have for reaching out to others? If she's washed the saints' feet, and again, that comes not only hospitality, but that's actions of service, reaching out in that one. Diakonos, we've shared about that and speaking about the deacons, that heart of a servant. What kind of a heart does this woman have? Or is she just looking for a handout? It says, if she has relieved the afflicted, does she actively demonstrate care for other people, or is she just all self-centered? That's the kind of woman that you wanna look for. No, she's she's always helping other people, and yet, she needs help now, so it's good to help that kind of woman. If she has diligently followed every good work, again, the testimony, the actions of her life, again, they need to be evident. You can't just come in and say, hey, I'm in a tough situation. I think the church ought to help me out. As you can see, again, there, there cannot be, there should never be this entitlement mentality it was the church's desire to fulfill these, these certain needs within the community, within the church body, but there has to be an understanding that it's not just because you are entitled. No, there's a certain way that we do this. The church did this actually as a just a, a practical action of showing the love and the compassion of Almighty God to the people of God and to the community that's around them. Not because they were required to by law, but because they were motivated by love. It was the love of God that compelled them to meet the needs of these women. And then Paul returns to this issue once again of, of the family taking care of their own widows when possible, again, so as not to burden the resources of the church. Look at what he says there in verse 16. He says, if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them. And do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. So there's gonna be enough opportunities to, to take care of people. But if there's family, the family ought to take care of them. Then uh, again, uh, just as the manner of Paul is in a lot of his writings, if, if you read much of Paul's letters to the churches, you know that he'll be writing and you know going after one particular subject and then all of a sudden it's like, bing, a, a bell rings or something and suddenly he's turning and he's going a different way and that's exactly what we find out here. Right here in verse 17, he suddenly changes. Now instead of dealing with widows, now he's going to start talking about the care of the elders. And as he speaks about the elders, the context tells us he's not speaking of the older men within the fellowship. No, he's speaking about those who have that position of of leadership and authority within the church. Look what he says here in verse 17. He says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So the first area, this area of expectation is, again, those that are serving as the teaching elders or as, as pastors. In essence, what he's saying here, it's, they should be paid. They should be, uh, again, covered financially to be able to do that. He doesn't give much of an option there. You know, uh, Again, he says if they rule well, They should be, again, worthy or they are counted as worthy of of double honor. In our current church culture, those that are teaching elders, they are in essence the pastors of the local church. There's a responsibility that they have for rightly dividing the word of truth for the congregation and for the community as a whole. Now, you might think, well, no, he's not really talking about finances, Pastor. He's just talking about honoring these individuals and respecting them. But really and truly, yeah, you honor them, not placed on a pedestal, but you recognize their call. You recognize their responsibility before the Lord. But you'd have to be absolutely blind to not see and not recognize that Paul is definitely here speaking about financial support of the pastors of local congregations. And it's funny to me, some churches, some denominations, some Christian organizations, they they take great pride in saying, well, none of our pastors are paid. Well, the word of God says they ought to be, so that they could put more time into, again, into the word and into, again, caring for the flock. As a matter of fact, Paul brings out an an Old Testament quote from Deuteronomy, and I love this. He uses this, uh, we see it through the scriptures a a few different times within the uh, New Testament. But he brings out from Deuteronomy, the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. So I I guess he's calling us pastor's uh, uh, oxen, uh, as I shared, uh, okay, I'll let Robert be the oxen, I'll be something else. But uh, uh, in essence, he says, don't muzzle the ox as it treads out the grain. Then he brings out something actually that Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, that a laborer is worthy of his wages the very same issues, actually, that he addresses at length over in 1 Corinthians. In First Corinthians chapter 9, he, there's nothing to guess about here. He, he lays it out very plain in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, beginning in verse 7, whoever goes to war at their own expense, who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat its fruit, or who tends a flock and doesn't drink of the milk of the flock, Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same thing also? For it is written in the law of Moses. And here he quotes that Deuteronomy passage again. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Then he asks, is it oxen that God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt that it's written that he who plows should plow in hope. He who threshes in hope should be a partaker of the hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing that we reap from your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we've not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Paul tells the church in Corinth, he says, now, you need to be doing this, but I want you to know we're not taking anything from you because Paul understood that for them against Paul, Paul continued doing his tent-making job because he says, I don't want you guys to have anything controlling in my life. I want to be able to come and bring the gospel to you absolutely freely with with no strings attached. He says, but it is the right thing for you to do to pay those ministers of the gospel. And then he even pulls in an Old Testament example from the work of the temple. The priests there that assisted in the offerings and the sacrifices, they actually received from those. That was part of their food allotment were the sacrifices that people gave, whether it be from the barbecue on the altar or the uh, boiled meat, whatever it might be, that these priests receive from that as part of their pay. And again, he, he's, he's not talking in any way making the gospel a means of, of, of gain. That's not what he's speaking about here. It's simply taking care of the material needs of the ones that are invested in the spiritual needs of the local body. But even beyond caring for the financial welfare of the leadership, there also needs to be those within the local body to assist in guarding the backs of those that are on the front lines. You see, those leaders, those elders, those pastors within any local fellowship, they literally and truly are on the front lines. And they need people, again, the body of Christ, they need the body of Christ behind them, praying for them, Watching over and protecting them. The body of Christ needs to be their rear guard. And that includes, you know, the elders guarding them, their families, and in particular their spouses against the attacks of the enemy. Paul is very clear that when accusations come, there needs to be consideration given for the one who is serving and has served faithfully as the elder of the local body of believers. We're back still in 1 uh, Timothy chapter 5. Look what he says there in verse 9. 19. He says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except for two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. There's much that could be said at this point in time. There's there's a lot that could be said even within our fellowship at this point in time in the life of our fellowship. But suffice it to say, Paul is very clear about receiving these unfounded accusations against those in leadership. These third and and fourth place rumor mills, they're they're unsubstantiated truths. They should never be used or presented as truths. Again, they've gone through three or four different patterns before they get there. When there are issues within the body, when there's individual members within the body, there should be, again, honesty of going directly to that one to which the accusation is pointed and clarify it. Where did this accusation come from? Where is it going to? Let's get to the reality and the truth of the issue. And if further action is needed, Paul tells us very clearly and very strongly, very directly those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may learn to fear. Now, rather, that means that the elder, that the leader, that the pastor is sinning, hey, you know, that needs to be brought forth. There needs to be repentance, there needs to be reconciliation. Or or if someone else has brought a a false accusation, that needs to again be brought up. There needs to be repentance, there needs to be reconciliation. He says in verse 21, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Paul is warning Timothy, This whole deal of of dealing in in areas of of prejudice or imbalance. If the elder or the leader or the pastor is in sin, you need to deal with that. If it's an individual member of the body, you need to deal with that. You cannot say, oh no, we we, we can't deal with this thing with with the pastors or the elders because they're the pastor or the elder. Touch not the Lord's anointed. I think I heard that one time. Uh, No, if, if they're in sin, you need to deal with it. But it has to be true, it has to be, again, confirmed by two or three witnesses. And if it's a member of the body, you don't deal with them any more harshly than you would anyone else. This whole idea of laying on of hands hastily, that deals with the matter, I believe, of of, of placing or anointing people in positions of leadership when number one, it's either too early for them in their walk, they're too immature as a believer, you don't want them in a position of leadership. Or secondly, there's not really a calling of leadership within their life. You don't wanna put that person just because they're mature in the Lord. Just because they've got some gray hairs does not mean that they should be one of those who are elders that are leading the body of Christ. Where's the calling? Is there a calling in their life? Again, simply because an individual has zeal or, or even expresses a desire to be in that position, neither of these should be the criteria of placement within ministry. It's gotta be led, it's gotta be directed by the Holy Spirit of God. It's far too easy, far too easy to place someone in ministry, and it's way too difficult to take someone out. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but beloved, in 40 years of ministry, we've experienced it more than a few times. Many times, when someone is asked to step down out of leadership, they either leave the body at that point in time, whether it be out of embarrassment or out of anger, whatever it might be, or they continue within the fellowship And they continue with a grudge against the current leadership. Paul said, man, don't lay hands on anyone hastily. Don't share in other people's sins. Then in the midst of this instruction, he's talked about conflict at the beginning, dealing with older men, older women, younger men, younger women. Then he dealt with the issue of widows. Then he's dealing with the issues of elders. Now suddenly, he takes another one of these sharp turns and suddenly, right in the midst of it, he's dealing with Timothy in a very personal issue. Apparently, this whole pastoring thing for Timothy was giving him stomach problems. I can't imagine why, but uh, Timothy had some kind of ailments there, and suddenly, in the midst of this instruction, he puts this little deal in there. Verse 23, he tells Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Okay, here we go with this whole wine drinking thing again. We've, we've been on this a couple of times in Timothy, uh, and, and, and here it is again. This is where Paul is actually giving out free medical advice to, uh, to, to Timothy, this young protege of his. He tells him, man, don't drink only water. Use a little wine for your stomach's sake. And, and I've heard the, the courses of the comments that, yeah, the water was so bad there that uh, they, w- they would drink the wine. But actually, there's a couple of things that we need to make very clear in, in, in the midst of this. We actually have no idea what Timothy's real ailments were, either the cause of the ailments or whatever course that it was taking within his body. We just don't know. But we also know that there was not a CVS or a Walgreens on every corner, okay? So we understand that fully. Paul is simply telling Timothy to use a little wine for medicinal purposes. Well, it turns out, after a little bit of research, you don't have to research it very far, but you can find out that actually red wine does have a little bit of medicinal benefits to it. As a matter of fact, studies show that red wine helps to balance out your gut bacteria. In an article that was dated May of 2012, drinking a daily glass of red wine is good for the bacterial lining of your large intestines. A new Spanish study suggests that sipping about nine ounces of Merlot, or a low-alcohol red wine, changed the mix of good and bad bacteria typically found in the colon in ways that can benefit your health. Now, I don't know, maybe this Spanish study was done by a Spanish wine producer. I I, I don't know for sure, but uh, it does go on to say, and we I want to make sure and give you this, researchers suspect that it's really not due to the alcohol, but to the polyphenol compounds that are found in the wine. Now, polyphenols are actually found in a variety of foods also, and other beverages. Besides red grapes, polyphenol is found in many other fruits and vegetables, coffee, tea, chocolate, particularly uh, dark chocolates, and some nuts. So in the midst of this, I think it's probably a good place, good time for me just to tell you, for me personally, I have absolutely no problem. As a matter of fact, as a course of regular events on a daily basis, I have at least one or two cups of coffee every morning, okay? (laughs) Kind of helps my gut, also wakes me up pretty good. So there you have it. Actually, likely the, the, the thing most readily available to Timothy at that point in time was probably a little bit of red wine. And, and Paul is telling him, Man, you know, take this, not, not in abuse, not in drunkenness, but use it as a tonic for your ailment. He's not promoting or neither is he discouraging. He's just stating what is. So that's it with that. And then he moves on again. He jumps again back in to, uh, he jumps out of that parenthesis. He jumps back to more directives. Now, if, if we understand that, that verse 23 is actually like a little parenthesis that's set in there, then we can also understand that verses 24 and 25 probably go with the stuff that, that he was saying before. It's kind of like, you know, you're, you're talking along and all of a sudden, squirrel? You know, uh, something something happens over here. And so, hey, listen, oh, hey, hey, by the way, I forgot to tell you, I I know you got these stomach problems. Uh, Take a little red wine for that. But let me get back to the point. Uh, So this is kind of where we're at on on this here. I I believe that, again, verses 24 and 25, these issues of false accusations against elders, those that might be placed in leadership positions, I think that's kind of where he's going. Look at what it says here. He says that some men's sins are, are clearly evident preceding them in judgment. But those of some men will follow after, or follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise, they they cannot be hidden. Beloved life, as we know it, is and can be very deceiving. You and I can fool each other all day long. As a matter of fact, many times we, you know people that live their lives hidden behind a mask or whether it's just they're trying to fool other people or they're trying to fool themselves of what's real. But Paul says here, some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them in judgment, but those of some men actually follow later. Some men you can see, man, they're, they're, they're messed up, but others, they carry this facade and everything looks good, but beloved, be sure your sin will find you out. Again, nothing is hidden from God. He says it will be found out later. And likewise, the good works of many. I mean, we, we are so blessed within this local body of believers to have many who not only love the Lord, but they show it in, in real and tangible ways in their service, not only to this body, but to the community. And you see their good works being laid out there. But the thing that continually astounds me and the thing that the Lord continually reminds me of is there is a multitude of people within this local body that I'll never see their good works. But their good works are going on and continuing on, not because they want the accolades of man, not because they want a little pat on the back, but because they love the Lord Jesus and they're just living their lives for his glory. He says, you know what? Might not be real evident right now. The fact is, is that's not gonna be hidden. Because when we get to glory, the reality and the truth of our life before Christ is what's gonna be seen. When we get to glory, when we stand before that great King eternal, And he looks at our lives. False accusations fall away. The reality and the truth of of our life and our actions and our hearts attitude are, are gonna be so completely revealed. Every one of us will stand literally naked before the Lord because we will not be able to hide anything. And he'll see clearly where our hearts were. Nothing escapes his watchful eye. At the end of the day, The truth will be made known. Sins that are hidden now will be made evident to all and good works which no one ever recognized here at this point in time. They'll be known and they'll be awarded. My question to you this morning as we close, how are you running the race that's set before you? See, we can be distracted by a lot of things. We can be drawn into a a, a ton of conflicts and, and disturbances. But the reality is, is how are you walking? How are you living your life? For the glory of God or for the praise of man? Praise of man is empty, it ends quickly. But when you live for the glory of God, then there's gonna be things in your life that you'll do that no one else will ever know, but you've done them for the glory of God. There'll be steps that you'll take that will cost you greatly, but you do it anyway because it's for the glory of God.
0: We're so glad you joined us today for The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. If you've enjoyed today's message and would like to listen again, just visit theopenword.com. There are several other teachings that we encourage you to download, share, and listen to anywhere you go. We know it can be hard to find time in this busy world to sit and study the Bible in depth, but we've tried to make it a little easier. Pastor David's insights into God's Word can be taken with you on the go, filling those pauses in your day with promises and truth. We're so glad we can provide these Bible studies for you through the ministry of The Open Word. We'd like to ask you though, to be a part of what we're doing here. With more information, here's Pastor
1: David. I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools God uses to advance his kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing his children through The Open Word and God has given us a vision to see the ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow.
0: Thanks, Pastor David. There's much more to learn from the book of 1 Timothy, so tune in again to Pastor David's teaching on The Open Word.